welcome you this morning to the Lord's house. We are glad that you are here. We have gathered to meet with the Lord and to worship and lift up His name. You know, as we gather in the Lord's house and in His presence, we have to be reminded that it's not about us. It's not about our well-being per se. It's not about how we feel. We're gathered in the house of prayer and praise to worship our Lord and our God. And of course, the benefit of that is that we are with those of like precious faith. We are gathered with those who want to worship the living God as well. And that's our great joy and our blessing today. We're starting with number 400. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness will stand pleased as we worship the Lord. before the Lord in prayer. Our loving God and Father, we bow this morning in Your house once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we bow today realizing 
once more the great benefit and gift that has been given to us of everlasting life. The fact that today we stand upon redemption ground. We stand, Lord, not under condemnation anymore. We have been brought out of the darkness, Lord, of our sin into the light, the liberty, and the salvation, the forgiveness of all our sins. And we are today seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I pray, Father, today that every believer, each one of us, would again be confronted with the wonder of our Lord Jesus, and we would understand and learn something more of Him today, of what it cost Him, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. And that, Lord, we would come to taste and see and rejoice in so great salvation. Lord, You would work deeply in all our hearts, that we would grow daily in grace, in the knowledge of our Savior, that we would walk in fellowship with Him. We would, Lord, more and more be conformed to His image. We know that when He comes to that glorious day when we shall see our Lord, that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And therefore, Father, may we be more willingly conformed to His image. Father, do not allow the devil to put stumbling blocks in our way to hinder our progress. Give us, we pray, every day the victory over self and sin. And we know, Father, that Our Savior has clearly said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, help us this very morning to stand in the victory of Calvary, to stand, Lord, in the joy and peace of full salvation. Help us to stand in that righteousness that we've been just singing about And we magnify the living God. Lord, we know we're not meeting here today because of ourselves. It's not about us. We want this, Lord, to be all about the glory of Your name and the glory of our Savior. And we know that the fallout of that, the blessings of that, will be upon each one of us who are saved by grace. And Lord, what we're asking for is a work of grace in the hearts of those who are still unsaved, whether in this house now, watching online today, or perhaps viewing the service at a later time. Oh God, work deeply, we pray, in their hearts and bring them to salvation. Father, we think this morning with thanksgiving for 
your hand upon our brother Alec Newell this past week in bringing him safely through his surgery. We pray, Lord, you would speed the healing process and bless your servant and his family. We think this morning also of other sick ones in our own congregation. People have been prayed for many times. Lord, we are looking for and expecting with thanksgiving for the measure of answer you've given already. But we pray for continued help. We pray this morning for June Hamilton. We pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon her in this time of her need. Lord, bless all of our congregations. Bless every faithful tongue that is proclaiming the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus. And let us see the church of Christ growing and extended. Let not the devil's kingdom have the preeminence. But dear God, we pray that we as your servants would share and shed forth the light of truth and grace. So hear our prayer today. Be with us now, Lord. Bless our worship. Bless us as we read the Scripture. Bless, Lord, as the Bible is open to us again. May we know that blessing of the Spirit applying the truth to our hearts, that we would walk in holiness, we would walk in peace, and that we would walk in the joy of the Lord continually. So hear our prayer now. And bless us for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Psalm 24a, first selection, the verses 1 to 6, will stand pleased to sing.
Psalm 24. It is deemed to be a psalm that speaks about the Lord's ascension to glory again. The sixth verse certainly takes up that theme when it speaks about the doors and the gates of glory being lifted up to welcome in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's always good to look into the Psalms and be sure we understand what they are saying and the messianic purposes that they have in speaking to us. Let's read today, please, in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Reading the first 22 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also are ye saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins." Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We know the Lord will add His own blessing to His own precious Word. The Scripture always holds out the responsibility of the individual having heard the Word, the preached Gospel message, to respond to that Word. And there are in the church, the visible church that is, those folks who have made profession of faith, but maybe they're not truly saved. And Paul touches on this, doesn't he? He says in verse 2, "...by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain." Of course, he's speaking in this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 about the veracity of the resurrection, how that Christ has risen according to the Scripture, and that resurrection being taught in the Old Testament is something that should not be a surprise to any man. Now that Messiah has risen from the dead, this is the fulfillment of the very thing that Paul had been preaching to them. And he said, as you have believed in this, then you have received the truth and you are born again of the Spirit of God, unless you have believed in vain. Doesn't that bring to our attention that word to make our calling and election sure, to be certain that we know where we stand with the Lord? It's not enough, you know, to wait and think, well, I hope so when I pass through death and get to heaven or the gate of heaven. I hope it's going to be okay with me. That's not a good way to go out into eternity. No, friend. The Bible tells us we can be certain. And what's important is that we do not believe in vain. We do not believe empty things. We believe with all our hearts and we trust in the living Christ that He is our Redeemer. Welcome to our service this morning. We are very glad that you are here, both in person and online And we trust that God would richly encourage you by the Word and by our time of worship uh, together. Please remember our brother Alec Newell in your prayers. Alec had hip surgery this past week and uh, came through on Friday uh, very well according to the reports of the doctor. And of course the recuperation from that will be a little time yet, so I know he'll greatly appreciate our ongoing prayers for him at this time of his need. We received some news this week from Reverend Stephen Hamilton, minister in the Philadelphia Lehigh Valley area. His wife June had been diagnosed with cancer some time ago and went through chemotherapy, but they had to report that when that is finished, It has not been successful. 
And so there's nothing more that they can do for her at this time. And so that was solemn news, you could imagine, for Brother Hamilton and for June and their family. And I wrote Stephen and just let him know that we're praying for him and for his wife. And he wrote back and said, thank you very much. Please express that to the congregation. But he said, we're in the hands of the Lord, as we always have been. And when the doctors say they can't do anything else, well, we also know more so that the Lord is the one who is in control and our lives are in His hands. So they're trusting and resting in faith in Him. And we want to continue to pray for June. And well, we've been thinking too about Reverend Bodner recently as his diagnosis we know of. And we're praying for God's grace and peace to be with His servant and others. We pray for Brother Cranston as well. So do remember these ones in our our, your prayers. Think of our pre-service prayer time today at 5.50 in our fellowship room just outside the doors over here. You're welcome to come, and we encourage you to be there at the place of prayer, and our evening service will be at 6.30 tonight. Tonight we're going to be having the testimony of our brother Siman and how the Lord has been working in his heart recently. He's going to be sharing testimony to that and then bringing a devotional word tonight. So do remember our brother Daniel in your prayers. The Lord will be with him and bless him as we meet for our worship time tonight. Then also after the evening service, we want to hold a meeting for those who have desired and who want to be baptized. This is very important as we believe very much in the New Testament Scripture that gives us the clear command. The Lord said, believe and be baptized. And this is always an encouraging time for us in the congregation when someone comes forward and they say, yes, I would like to follow the Lord in that way. And you know, if you are a believer in Christ, if you're at the age of maturity, of accountability in that sense, and we kind of peg that generally around the age of 16, if you know what you're doing and you want to be obedient in following the Lord, you professed faith in Christ some years ago, well, there's no good reason why you should not be baptized following the Lord in His obedience. So we encourage you to use this opportunity, and the Lord would speak to your heart. And if you just come along you just meet in the counseling room down the end of the hallway over here after the service tonight, and uh, I'll meet with you. We'll have a little conversation, a little talk then. Remember, please, then on Tuesday night is our ladies' Bible study, and that will be on Zoom only at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to join up to that ladies' Bible study, you're welcome to do that. You see Jonathan McAnally, and he'll be sure to put your name if you give him your email on the list and get that link for Tuesday night. Wednesday, 7.30, our Bible study and our prayer time. Again, let me encourage every family to be represented at our Wednesday prayer time. This is the hub of our congregation, our church. This is where we get before God and people pouring out their hearts in prayer and in request and supplication to God and it's a vital part of our church uh, meeting and week and fellowship. And so I encourage you about that on Wednesday evening. And the next Lord's Day, 
our services all at the regular time. A couple of events, announcements. We're praying about our upcoming presbytery and prayer times in May for all of our North American ministers and elders. And there's a sign-up sheet on the back. I believe it's still there. If any ladies would like to be involved in some of the hospitality, the food preparations, will you put your name in that list? And then you'll be asked what you can do and how you can help. And so if you'd like to do that, write your name there. Jumped ahead, well, not quite, but on uh, June the uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th, we're going to be having our mid-year time of prayer, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings, and uh, that's when our baptismal service will be, Lord willing, on that Wednesday night. And so please keep those meetings in prayer. And we're thinking about our young adult fellowship, our time coming up a Bible conference in the month of August. The visiting speaker is going to be Reverend Andrew Simpson from our Prince George congregation. So pray for our brother. The Lord will bring him with the right message and the right word. And we got confirmation this past week that uh, Pastor Mila Schultz and his family, his entire family actually, will be able to come and visit with us for about two weeks during that month of August, and uh, they're planning on coming to attend the Young Adult Conference and be able to have fellowship and uh, speaking around our local churches. So those are important things to remember as well in our praying. We have the latest copy of the Let the Bible Speak magazine. This is an important one. It's the 50th anniversary of LTBS in the radio broadcasts and ministries that have been going really across the world in many, many different countries. And so you'll find some very fascinating articles in there. And pick up a copy when you leave. And again, when you're finished, uh, as we say with the current magazine, uh, pass it on to someone else. Don't let it take up dust just on your shelf, but put them out to other use, and they might be an encouragement to others as well. We're going to sing number 371. And we'll remain seated as we sing this hymn, When Peace Like a River. Thank you. 
so lovely to hear you singing, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing these final two verses. Let's lift our praises in solemn reflection and thanksgiving to the Lord. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Nailed to his cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. turn with me now in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20. We begin our reading at verse number 11. Of course, the context of this is the resurrection morning, the account of Mary coming to the tomb and running to tell the disciples, John and Peter, and then the events that transpired after that, beginning at verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, Why weepest thou? 
She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless His Word to us. We'll bow, please, in prayer. Father, we ask this morning now once more as we have the Bible open that we would come with open ears and open hearts to receive the Word. Dear Lord, take away every distracting thing. Help me to speak as your messenger today with clarity, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, you would work in the hearts of those who are yet unsaved to bring them to Christ. And Lord, we pray for every believer that each one of us would have our faith renewed, would have our devotion renewed and strengthened, and that our love for Christ would be deepened and broadened, that we would be brought to see again the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, hear our prayer. 
Bless us now, we ask, in the Savior's precious name. Amen. I want this morning in our message to think about these three scenes that are presented to us on this resurrection day. Three different accounts, three different circumstances. And pray that as we look at them, the Lord will help us to understand. Is it not true that we often define triumph and elation in the light of the valleys of disappointment? On a very basic or temporal illustration, your team scores the tying goal in the last moment of regular time, only to be slapped down with despair when in overtime they lost within the first minute. Sometimes you get your morning coffee, and if you do like other people through the drive through and you're happy when you have your coffee in hand, and you're on the way to a good morning and a good day, except when, instead of the person giving you two cream and no sugar, they give you two sugars and no cream, and you're not happy for the rest of the day. It upsets everything. And these things are silly, and we laugh at them. But of course, things get increasingly more important when we bring the issue of the heights of happiness and the valleys of disappointment and despair as it relates to things that have gone in the family. Maybe you have had great hopes of something that's going to come to pass, some dream, some aspiration, something that's going to be successful and a blessing, only to be devastated and, and broken in spirit at times, even questioning the providence of God when things have gone very horribly wrong. You would ask the question, wouldn't you, why, Lord, has this happened? When the Savior was in the height of His ministry of teaching and healing, multitudes were following Him there was excitement. There was joy. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, hordes of people followed him. He could no longer enter into local towns because it would have been just overwhelming. So he went out to the countryside and they came out to follow him. And they shouted, crown him the king of Israel. And you remember on the, the road into Jerusalem, they were shouting, Hosanna in the highest! And those who were the very closest to the Lord in His life, while well, they experienced not just the Word in parables, but they experienced the interpretation of those parables. They knew what the Lord was meaning. And all the private conversation, communication, communion they had with Him, they were rejoicing. Everything was going well. They were looking for a messianic domination, a kingdom to come. 
But then the tide turned. And the victory that they were tasting quickly turned and was shattered into something bitter and sour. They saw their Lord and their Savior, their Master, their Messiah. They saw Him hanging on a cross. They saw Him, a lifeless body. They saw Him beaten and mangled, a mess of blood. What would you think if you were there and saw that after having received so much instruction from the Lord of what He had promised He was going to do? Yes, you heard Him talk. The disciples did about rising from the dead. But it didn't make any sense then. And it certainly doesn't make any sense now. This was the place of His disciples and His followers. This was the scene of the cross and the dark hours that followed. And now they're on the third day. For us, we have the great advantage, don't we, of reading the divine account in the Bible of all that transpired and of the bodily resurrection of our Lord from the dead. And these things, we are told, have been written for our learning and we will take great delight in them. We will take great instruction from them. We rejoice in them. And as John the Apostle wrote, years following the event, He said, Christ must rise from the dead. He saw it then. He didn't see it at the time. And I want us to think today on these three scenes on Resurrection Day and pray that we will understand something about faith and hope and victory in the face of severe disappointment. We are brought ourselves to see the risen Christ of God by faith. I want to first of all think about Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. A careful comparison of the gospel accounts of how many women came to the tomb and how the disciples were informed about the Lord not being there it causes some difficulty. For example, we have in John 20 and verse 1, this reading, that the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And the indication is very clearly that Mary was there by herself on that resurrection morning. And yet when you compare other Gospels, it will tell you that there were other women. It names some of them and others who were followers of the Lord who were there. How do we make sense of that? Well, when you're reading the Gospels, you must read very carefully the words that are included and the words that are excluded and the circumstances from each of the Gospels. Because as we have told you before, every Gospel writer was looking from different perspective of the life of the Lord as the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. 
Now, we believe in the inspiration of God's holy word. This did not come by accident. It did not come by chance. It did not come by the disciples researching the local newspapers to find out what exactly did happen on that day. No, the Spirit of God brought them the word that they were to write down in the account. That's why it's so vital for us to see the words and to watch them. Because in verse 2 you will notice, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So she was not alone. She was with others there. But as you carefully compare the time frame of when the others came and of who stepped up first, well, I believe you will see it all fitting together very reasonably. If you are told a circumstance or some factual information about something that occurred, and someone's an eyewitness, and they will share that account with you, well, they will tell you what they saw but they'll not give you every detail. I mean, you look at, listen to someone else, and they will fill in details that the other person missed out. And it's not to say the first person was wrong or the second person was not accurate, but both were accurate from the viewpoint that they were giving. But John is directed by the Holy Spirit, and he focuses in on Mary alone here. And... The reason for that is because the Spirit of God wants us to think about Mary in her person, in her account, at the tomb at that moment, and not to be distracted by others at that particular point. This itself is worthy of noting. It was not to John or to Peter, remember John was the beloved disciple. He was the one who reposed on the breast of Christ a number of times close to the Lord. Peter was there. Peter, James, and John were, seemed to be always with special privilege, if we could put it that way, when they were with Christ. But the Lord did not reveal Himself to them when He rose first. It was to a woman. It was to Mary, a person who had been delivered by great demonic bondage. Not much is known about Mary Magdalene. It is assumed that she came from a town called Magdala on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, She appears first in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, combined with other women whom the Lord had saved, we're told certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom the Lord cast seven devils. And the Lord chose to make Himself known on the resurrection morning to this woman, not to any of his disciples or any other men. 
And here the Lord raises again the place of dignity of women in the Bible. And when we map this out through, you will see just how many times events like this happened. Mary was a woman who was delivered from a great oppression, out of whom the Lord cast seven devils. Not one, but seven. We're not told the specific details of that deliverance, just the fact that it had occurred. Here was a woman who had been healed by such oppression. Her life was not her own at that time. She was being directed by the forces of hell. And like that woman who was following after Paul and Barnabas and calling after them, these be the servants of the Most High God, this was a woman, Mary, who was controlled, directed, overseen by this control. Is it because Mary was the leader of that cult of women that she is singled out in Mark's Gospel? We do not know for sure. But we do know this, that the Lord gave her a great deliverance. He brought her out of her own darkness. He brought her out of the control of satanic power and brought her into the freedom and the light and the liberty of a daughter of God. And now she was saved. And now she knew that peace and that joy and that freedom. Friend, think for a moment of what the Lord has done for you. Think of how He has delivered you from your own sin. Think back to what you used to be before Christ saved you. Think for a moment of the vices that controlled your life, of the things that you went down into the depth of, things that we would not want to have advertised today. And yet, here you are this morning. You are seated and clothed and in your right mind. You have been saved by God's grace. And you have been delivered. And so, Mary of Magdala was one such person and from the time that she was saved and delivered, she followed the Lord with all her heart. She ministered unto the Lord. She had worshipped Him as her Messiah and her King. And she loved Him with all her heart. And so, the Lord chose to appear to this woman with an infamous past now made a trophy of divine grace. She who had been saved from much darkness now loved her Lord with much devotion. Is it not true that the greater deliverance that God gives to a person, they will of necessity reflect with more appreciation, more thanksgiving, looking back to where we have come from, seeing where the Lord has brought us to. For we have, who have been saved from much will love much. And that was true of this woman. And Mary, who loved the Lord, she followed Him 
and she gave her life to him. But she had watched. She had watched her Lord being crucified. She had watched as Joseph of Arimathea took him down from the cross, a limp, lifeless body. She watched where Joseph went and buried him in that tomb. And now she has come in the darkness of the morning to anoint his body. But as soon as she comes to that sepulcher, that area, in the the darkness of the night, in the rays of the sun just beginning to come up, she sees that the stone has been rolled away. And immediately she runs to Peter and to John with the shocking news. She followed them back to the tomb. And after Peter and John, you'll remember the account, we're given at the early verses of chapter 20. Peter ran, John ran, John outran Peter, came first, kind of peeked in. Peter went right into the tomb. The Lord was not there. They, they then left and they went away. And now here is the circumstance. Mary is still there. She does not run away. She still is earnest to find out where the Lord is. And so, in verse 11, we're told she is at the sepulcher weeping. She looked in now, and she saw two angels. Interesting that when Peter and John were there, those angels were not present. But when Mary comes and looks in the tomb now, there are these two heavenly messengers there, and they ask her, why are you weeping? It's interesting to note, they did not even get to the point of saying, Christ is not here, He is risen from the dead, because she answers their question, the Lord's not here, where, have you, where is He that I might find Him? And then at that point, before they can say anything else, she is conscious of someone behind her. And so she turns to see the figure that she does not recognize. And she supposes him to be the gardener. Now, ladies, I want you to think for a moment what you would feel like in that circumstance. Most ladies don't like to be alone in the dark. They don't like to be at home alone. They certainly don't like to go out in the forest alone at night. And for this woman to go there, it really tells us something about her devotion for Christ. She was going there to see her Lord and to do what she could to honor the body. And now she has just seen these two angels and she's turning and there's a strange figure behind her in the darkness, in the relief. If the sun is beginning to shine, something she, can, she senses the outline but she doesn't recognize who it is, thinking it's the gardener. He's asking her, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And the Lord, you know, in His interaction with us, He so often comes to ask us questions because He wants to stir up answers to the very problems that we are having ourselves. He wants us to vocalize that. And friends, in our own Christian life, as we are facing problems, oftentimes the Lord will come with a question 
And it's good for us to pay attention to this. What, what are you doing here? Like he said to Elijah, what, why are you here? It makes you begin to think, okay, why am I here? I'm here because, why are you crying? Well, I'm, I'm not crying because of this reason and that reason. And the Lord knows how to bring comfort and healing to the heart of His children. He wants us to be able to vocalize the situation. He doesn't want us to hide our feelings or our thoughts. And this comes out in this interaction that He has with Mary. At this very precious moment, this woman who was still weeping, full of tears, and a broken heart, she is consumed. Not just have they crucified my Lord, not just has He dead and been buried, but I've come to pay my final respects to Him, and someone has stolen Him away. Why have they done this? Could they not respect even my Lord's body? And so her heart is not just heavy, it is devastated, weighed down. And then the Lord speaks her name. And at the moment that the syllables left the mouth of Christ, she recognized that voice. She recognized that tone. She recognized the calling of her name. And dear brothers and sisters, when you are in the valley of despair and despondency, when you're at the end of your rope and all disappointment is upon you and everything has fallen away, there will be nothing sweeter that you will hear but the Lord calling your name. And He will speak to you in your prayer. He will speak to you from His Word. And He will bring that encouragement that only the voice of Christ speaking through His Word can bring to us. As He did to Mary that day, and as soon as she did that, immediately everything changed. All that she was thinking about at that moment, everything was turned. She cried out, Rabboni! Master. Instantly she worshipped Him. Immediately she knew, this is my Lord. I know now why He's not in the grave. I know now why the stone has been rolled away. I know now that this is not the gardener. This is my Lord. And everything became crystal clear, sharp, because... A sight of Christ makes the difference to every aspect of our lives. She saw Him. She fell down instantly at His feet to worship. And she would have taken hold of His feet. In a moment, her whole outlook of life had changed in the confusion and bewilderment of the death of the Lord. There now He stands before her. 
She had seen him crucified, dead, buried. Now he stands speaking her name. He's alive. And all that he had spoken about rising from the dead, I now get it. I now understand it. It was true. But you might ask yourself, why did the Lord not allow her to touch him? We're given the answer from Christ, for he says, I am not yet ascended to my Father. I'm not yet ascended to my God and your God. But what does that mean? The answer is given by the Lord, but it's still we're left in a little bit of a quandary. Some commentators, like J.C. Ryle, they believe it refers to the ascension of Christ that was happening happened 40 days later on. So it was really the Lord's Word in summary. He was saying that to Mary, but He was saying, I haven't yet ascended to God in 40... But that really doesn't make full sense because... It appears from the context that Jesus, having just risen from the dead, and other Bible writers would say, and we know from the context, that other women did hold the Lord by His feet after He had risen from the dead. Other people had touched Him. The disciples touched Him. Now, it appears from the context that Jesus, having just risen from the dead, He must go to his Father. It is part of the greater plan of the sealing of his rising from the dead. Before he could show himself to his disciples, to the others, and then after 40 days, he would then ascend and rise to glory to come back on his second coming. But was there a message to Mary here as well? She was a lady, a woman full of devotion, full of love for her her Lord and Savior. And she believed now that He was alive. But upon what ground did she believe that He was alive? It was on the ground that she saw Him with her eyes And she was going to touch him in his feet with her hands. And it may well be that there is a message for us that, friends, we do not improve our faith by physical appearances and sights and wonders of things. If we will know Christ as our own Savior, it will be by faith in what He has told us in His Word. And that's where each one of us must come. And that's where as believers, if we're going to grow in our grace with Christ, it's not going to be by physical manifestations that are seen. No, it's not going to be by that way. It's going to be by the reception of the Lord through His Word by simple childlike faith. And so, as the Lord said to Mary, No, Mary, don't touch me just now. 
because I am going to be received by all who will come to me by faith. And I know in these transitional times, as the Lord did make Himself known to people, and His disciples did see Him and touch Him, the Lord made His resurrection, the the reality, the literalness of it, as, as evidence for future generations. Because some would claim later on that Christ did not bodily rise from the dead. They would say, He only rose in spirit. And so the body corrupted in the ground and is gone, but His Spirit rose. And it may well be that others would have thought that too. The Lord showed Himself unmistakably with eyewitnesses, as we've read in 1 Corinthians 15, showing Himself to over 500 brethren at once and other people who saw Him, the disciples and the other women. And that is written in the Scriptures as an evidence of the Lord's rising from the dead. He was not a phantom. He was not a spirit. But He rose in the body that He was crucified in. It's very important for us to understand that. If we are going to seek and know the Lord today, friend, if you are going to be saved today, it's going to be by believing and receiving and calling and trusting in God's holy and precious Word and in that Word alone. What did the high priest say and the others as Jesus was hanging on the cross? They said, come down from there and we will believe you. No, they would not have believed had they even seen that, because their hearts were hardened and closed off to the Lord at that time. There is a a second scene that is before us today, and it's the fearful disciples behind closed doors. Look at verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. The doors were shut. Fear gripped their hearts. You might ask the question, why were these disciples not out with Mary seeking to anoint the Lord's body? And the answer is quite clear, because they were shaking. They were terrified. They were overwhelmed with fear, thinking that, well, what happened to our Lord is going to happen to us because we were His followers and we're the ones who are going to disseminate His teaching and so we would end up being crucified as well. But the Lord appeared to them. He stood in their midst. And my friend, a sight of the risen Christ, it will have an impact upon people. And what did it do for these disciples? It brought peace to their troubled, fearful hearts. Now, we can understand their fear. We could certainly enter into it. We'd be with them cowering in that room behind the locked, closed door. But when the Lord entered and spoke that word of peace, immediately 
immediately something happened. The storm that they were dreading. Were they thinking back to the time they were on the Sea of Galilee in their boat and the waves were coming in? The boat was now full. Their boat was full again of water and they were about to be capsized. They were about to be swamped by the next wave. But now the Lord appeared to them. And what did He say? Peace, be still. Peace be unto you. And that's just like our Lord. He comes at the time of our greatest need. And He speaks that word to us. And these disciples that were in such danger in their minds, overwhelmed, the Lord came and met with them and He drew the curtain of blessing and of peace over them. And they were still Now, I'm not going to say that they were fully understanding all that transpired. No, I'm sure buzzing through their mind were all the what-ifs and how could this be. They were shocked, no doubt. But the Lord appeared to them and He spoke a word of peace. Are we not told in the Scripture that the peace of God passes all understanding and it shall keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Well, we see the evidence of the marks of His sufferings. It brings joy and gladness. Because we are told that Christ, when He came in and spoke to them, then He stretched forth His hands and showed them the nail prints in His hands, and He showed them His side that had been wounded. Then we are told the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They were far from glad when they saw the Lord hanging on the cross and the blood streaming down. They were far from glad when they saw the Lord being taken down from the cross and put in that tomb. But now they were confronted by the different presentation of the Lord and He comes into their gathering and He shows them His hands and His side and we are told then now don't miss that time marker then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord they were glad to see those nail prints in His hands because these hands were now animated lively hands the Lord was there speaking to them they saw His side They saw the nail print. They saw the spear print. The word glad here means to rejoice exceedingly. I don't think we could give a proper definition of the gladness that they had. It means that they were thriving. Of course they were thriving. How can we begin to explain such gladness? An instant before they were in the depth of their despair. An instant before they were They were ready to flee to the hillside and run away never to come back. And now the Lord was standing in front of them. And they saw the place where from His side had flowed out blood and water. The evidence of a heart that was broken for them. Broken because of their sin. But now standing in front of them, the risen Lord who has delivered them 
from their sin. You know, friends, in our darkest days, our darkest days must always be seen in the context of a risen Redeemer. Because apart from that, we will end up in despair. But when we view our lives in the light of our glorious risen Redeemer, all of the disappointments and all of the darkness and all of the uncertainty, it dissipates. It's expelled. And we're able to stand in the joy and light of seeing our risen Lord by faith and knowing that He is alive today. And we would hear the words of the hymn writer, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. And so, Mary met the Lord and her life and her outlook was changed. And the disciples, when they saw the Lord standing in front of them, their whole world that was on disaster course was now turned around in a moment. But a final scene on this particular chapter has to do with Thomas, who missed seeing the Savior. Where was Thomas? And why was he not with the others? We don't know. We ask questions though, don't we? Had he forsaken the fellowship of his brothers already? Had the whole event of Calvary and the cross disillusioned Thomas that he was prepared to pack up and move on in his life? When John told him that the Lord had appeared to them, he flatly refused to believe it. And he said, unless I put my finger in the finger in the hand of the Lord and I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And of course, that gives rise to doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I'm thankful that Doubting Thomas did not remain Doubting Thomas for very long, but he remained there too long, put it that way. A whole week went by before Thomas had his doubting rectified. Thomas comes to us as a very rubber-meets-the-road practical type of man. On a previous occasion when the Lord was saying, we go up to Jerusalem, Thomas said, let's go up and die with him. That was, he just saw it was all coming to pass. He was, he was that type of man. But you know, the Lord doesn't despise that type of individual. He will make use of the differing personalities that we have and that we're all equipped with in God's kingdom and purpose. Thankful for that. We're not all robots. We're not all the same. But the Lord uses characters and personalities and qualities. And he made use of a man like Thomas many, many years as Thomas went out to preach the Word. And it's believed that all through India, Thomas took the gospel message 
and established many, many churches as he went out to serve the Lord. But Thomas, he missed out on that first Lord's Day. Wherever he was and whatever he was doing, and his unbelief at what the other disciples had said to him, whatever else was going on, he saw something that was more important, more expedient, more justifiable than being gathered with his brothers and helping them at this time of their need. He, he was not there with the other disciples. And because he was not there, he missed seeing the Lord. He missed that very integral, vital first meeting of Christ having risen from the dead. And Thomas lost out. And in his life, he would never gain that again. And I believe there's a message for us. Life is so busy and hectic, you know. And there are so many things that are upon us. And we can think and justify many, many reasons as to why we should miss out on the Lord's house. Why we should not be in the place of worship. Why we should miss out on coming to fellowship in the prayer meeting, in the morning service, in the evening service, wherever there's a, an open door for the Word of God to be preached and worship being given. Because, friends, if we miss out on those times, we're, we're going to miss seeing the Lord. That's why it's so vital for us to, to see and understand. And if there's a little application that we can draw from this, then we will say, Lord, I don't want to be like Thomas. I do not want to miss out on any blessing that you have for me. I don't want to miss out on seeing my Savior from the Word, from the preached Word. Now, someone's going to say, yeah, 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 I've heard that before, and I know, coming to some service, but I come in, sing a hymn, we stand up, sit down, do this, and I go home and I don't feel any better. Well, friend, maybe the question needs to be asked in your own heart about where you are with the Lord, too. You can't always blame the church or other people. You can't always blame the pastor, though I'm, I'm sure that he's at fault at times, too, for you not getting the blessing. But here's the point. Why do we come to the Lord's house? We come to meet with God. We come to worship the Lord. We come to get a word from Christ. We want to see our Lord Jesus. But if we're not there, and I'm not talking about people who have health problems, I'm not talking about folks who can't be there because we praise God for the outreach and we thank God for Sermon Audio and for the technology we have today, a blessing that we enjoy and we will enjoy it and take use of it. But I caution folks not to make abuse of it and not to make an excuse of it either. But if we are able-bodied and within a reasonable distance and the weather's favorable for driving, friends, Let's be careful that we are in the Lord's house. We want to come and worship Him as the doors are open and opportunity is presented. Because when we meet with the Lord and with His people, then we will receive the blessing and we will go on with Him. Now, thankfully, the Lord was careful with Thomas. And the next week, 
I don't know what other words were spoken to Thomas throughout the course of that week. Maybe the, all the other disciples came together and said, Thomas, he was here. And one after another, they said to him, so come on next week, you've got to be sure you're with us. And so Thomas, thankfully he wasn't stubborn. And he said, okay, I'm coming next week. Uh, if I missed out once, I don't want to miss out again. And he came. And the Lord faithfully appeared the second time. And he stood in the midst of them when the doors were shut. They were still there. The Lord came right through, didn't have to open the door, just like the stone didn't have to be rolled away from the tomb to let the Lord out. It was to let others in. And the Lord went through the door, and he stood again in their midst. And he directly went to Thomas this time, and he showed him his hands and his side. And then Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. And when he stated that, there was so much more in that statement than just those words. Because I believe that Thomas looked back and said, Lord, I I didn't believe before. I missed out. I'm sorry, Lord, about that. My Lord and my God, how could I have ever doubted this? And everything was contained in that. But the Lord did say to him, Thomas, you have seen me. And you have believed, check mark, but what about those who have not seen me as you have with physical eyes and yet have believed? And that involves every one of you today who are born of the Spirit of God. And it involves every single Christian who has ever come to trust in the Savior after He ascended to glory. And the Lord Jesus said, Peace be unto you. You see, the Lord graciously extends His mercies to us, even in our doubtful times, even in our failing times, the Lord comes again because He wants His children to be brought with Him. And He wants to encourage us. Faith, you know, comes by hearing Romans 10, 13 and hearing by the Word of God. And so I say to you today, if you are here or listening online and you're not a believer, then now is the accepted time of your salvation. The Lord says now is the time to believe. And He has promised that if you call on Him, if you repent of your sin, that He will hear your prayer. He will forgive your sin. He will heal you and bring you to life and eternity. And let us as His people believe His Word, find all of our joy and fulfillment in the risen Christ, and remember, let us keep in perspective all of life and all of our disappointments and place them always in view of what our Lord has done for us and of His living person and that He has promised to come again and receive us to Himself, that where He is, there we will be also. Let's close our service this morning by singing number 166. Hymn 166, I know that my Redeemer is alive. Let's stand please to sing.
Father, what preeminent joy and knowledge has been impressed on our hearts. And we know, Lord, it's been written by the Spirit of God that we have been brought to see, to taste and see, that the Lord is good because we know with all the joy and confidence given to us by our Father that He is alive today. I pray that we might go each day in the joy and strength of that truth and that we will live above the world and not be taken in and cast down by so many things that are around us. Lord, forgive us for the times of our unbelief. Forgive us for our Thomas-like experiences. And we confess, Lord, there have been too many. Help us to walk by faith, to have the adoration of a Mary, and to receive as the disciples did, and to have gladness in our hearts as we are confronted with our Savior. So hear our prayer today. Part us in thy fear. Rich blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.